I want to put a bit of a serious spin to the whole Kanye quote. When I read that Forbes interview that he did, I didn't laugh about the whole thing at all. I was honestly a little bit emotional and a little bit sad that no other person in American politics right now feel like they have the space to say something that Kanye said, which is that Chinese people are God's people too. The whole fuck China mentality that is now public information from the Trump administration, they're not just fucking China. They're fucking America in the process. People in America are hurting because we don't have a very thoughtful industrial policy for ourselves. And all we are trying to do is to keep China down, which is fine to an extent, but you gotta have something else besides just keeping the next competitor down. You gotta know how to stay ahead. And I'm heartened by the recent interview that Tony Blinken did. What he said was very important is that we gotta go high. Our entire posture towards China has to be, let's aim higher. And I always find, yeah, I always find something wrong. You've been putting up with my shit just way too long. I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most. So I think it's time for us to have a toast. Let's have a toast for the douchebags. When I started doing my newsletter, my dream was to become Ben Thompson for tech read for Chinese tech. But if there's anyone who actually has a chance of making that happen, it's Kevin Hsu, author of the bilingual Interconnected newsletter, which you can find at interconnected.blog. Besides writing Interconnected, he invests in and advises open source startups in the U.S., China, and around the world. He was born in Shenyang, moved to Canada when he was 10, and the States when he was 14. Also, in an absolutely absurd coincidence, Kevin was my boss back when I was a, to be honest, pretty rough around the edges intern in Obama's regional press office, which is not necessarily the first place you'd think of as a breeding ground for Chinese tech analysis talent. So before we kick this off, Kevin, I just want to apologize for any headaches I most certainly caused back in 2012. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Jordan. It's really great to be reconnected. And like our old boss, Barack Obama, says, you are likable enough, Jordan. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so one app, which is certainly having likability issues in uh, July of 2020, is TikTok, where you wrote that the algorithm de that decides who should see what is beyond any control or accountability and has no legitimacy to that power. It's, there's no due process in an algorithmic world. Explain that concept and how it applies to both Facebook and TikTok. The broader point is just that, you know, there's a lot of debate about how to moderate content on social media in general, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and obviously all the ByteDance apps. And right now, the focus is on freedom of speech, as it should be here in America. But I think a much more powerful and subtler point is how can we know whether these decisions are being made in the right due process? And I think the most important thinker in the tech world right now is actually the CEO of Cloudflare, which is a kind of CDN, you know, cybersecurity company, Matt Prince, where he he said that, you know, the, the most important thing is not about free speech, which is actually a relative term when it comes to which country and culture you talk about. But universally, we as people all believe in due process, which is just another way of saying it's better to have a fair trial than a show trial, right? It's better to have procedural justice. And when it comes to TikTok, whether it's the 
concern about data access, the concern about whether their app is transporting data back to the Chinese government servers, all these sorts of fears, all these sorts of concerns, which are all legitimate. The, the way to address that is to open up a due process uh, kind of analysis of how are they doing all these things. And I would say the same thing for Facebook as well, because all the things that are happening on these apps are run by algorithms that you and I do not quite see or even understand. We can sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, game it a little bit if you have a little bit of understanding about tech, you know, liking something similar, another thing gets feed into your uh, screen. But really, there's no transparency to any of this stuff. So the important thing about TikTok, as we understand it, and Facebook and Instagram, is that we need to have more due process, not necessarily in the context of speech, but in the context of transparency. You mentioned the three things that people are concerned about when it comes to TikTok, which is content moderation policy, algorithmic tweaking, and data privacy. These sorts of questions are fundamentally kind of hidden behind the veil of, you know, internal corporate conversations. The other, you know, big question that folks have is whether those internal corporate conversations are also being influenced by what the CCP wants to happen in the Western information space. Right. So I think the core question we need to think about, and I wrote this in uh, on my blog, is called Can ByteDance Build Trust? Is that ByteDance certainly has a trust problem around the world. I would argue that a lot of tech companies have trust problems in their home country and around the world. It's just a matter of degree. And sure. the reason why I want to bring open source into this discussion is that some of the trust problems that ByteDance has right now can be solved better with open sourcing part of their technology, as opposed to this PR game, which is kind of what we have right now. You kind of just talk past each other. One side says, you're totally sending data to China. And the other side says, no, we're not. No, we're not. And nobody really knows what's going on. There is no due process. There's nothing to verify. I just have to trust, which doesn't work anymore. You have to trust and verify. And I want to dive deeper into how I think this open source could work to help ByteDance, if that's what they want to do, which is that uh, a few weeks ago, there was this article where it was reported that ByteDance is going to separate the entire organization so that its China-based engineers and product folks, and I'm assuming everybody, just cannot access whatever is in TikTok, whether it's the database or the code. So they're kind of building two parallel teams together. Uh, to kind of hold this kind of global empire (laughs) together, if you will. And that's, first of all, a very huge operation feat when it comes to just building a company. But what's really interesting is that if I were to trust this claim, which would be important for me to continue using TikTok and trust it, is that you need to kind of open source how you actually do it. And there's a very clear way you can do that. Every large company has these access policies called RBAC. It just stands for role-based access control. It's exactly what it sounds. If you are a senior level programmer, you should be able to access these databases and not others. If you're like a VP, you can ask these other databases, not others, kind of things like that. And these are all kind of done by both people and code and software. And the best way for me to trust this claim is just to open source how you implement that. And by open sourcing, it just means show me the code. 
right? So that a third party, whether it's a cybersecurity firm or some other more trusted or just an independent organization that has no dog in the fight, can continuously verify that what ByteDance is claiming it's doing is in fact happening. And none of that conversation, unfortunately, is happening right now on that technical level, which is very unfortunate. I remember, I think it was in, in, in one of the ZTE settlements, one of the conditions was that like American officials would be placed in ZTE and like be able to like oversee and like poke around and see what's going on. And that's just like, that just struck me as like the most ridiculous idea, which is that like a, a handful of people who like speak various levels of Mandarin and like are probably not really paid enough to have super high technical acuity to be able to fluce out with a, you know, a Chinese firm that has shown it's been a, it, it, it is perfectly willing and able to try to sneak things under the noses of American regulators. So the, a solution like this, where it's, you know, continuous and the whole world can, can, can poke around and, and, and see what's going on is a much more potentially sustainable one. I will say, you know, you've had this experience too, Kevin, of in the past few months being, being reached out to by ByteDance recruiters for international PM positions that are based in uh, Beijing and Shanghai. So, you know, as, as, as good a game as they're talking, it doesn't seem like um, it's, necessarily, uh, it's necessarily first in their mind if that's still the way that they're recruiting for, for positions. So, so even though Zhang Yiming might not be, be breathing open source gospel, there are other Chinese engineers and, and CEOs who actually think it's, it's, it's an incredibly important, important part of the future development of the, the Chinese as well as global technology ecosystem. So first off, what's, what's the state of open source in China? And why does it seem that Chinese firms have put more emphasis on it than American ones? So I wouldn't say they necessarily put more emphasis on it than American ones, but they're certainly open source is growing to be a more important part of just technology in general, but certainly within China, just because China's tech sector itself is growing so quickly. And the open source, just kind of to build some context for your listener, what it means is really that, number one, it is more of a value system in which anyone that has access to open source technology can run, change, copy, and distribute it however you like, free of charge. So in a way, it's just free software. But I think the more important element here is that it's becoming the best way to develop and distribute and build new technology. Because uh, just like what we were talking about, the, the whole world can see your code base. And if they think this is interesting or this is potentially useful, they can file bugs, they can contribute to it, they can make changes. And that the entire process of kind of guiding the development of this piece of open source software is all done in the open. So it's very transparent. 